You're listening to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority of their families. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Todd Lesher. I'm your host. And today's conversation is going to be more intense than usual. So April 20th marks the 20-year anniversary of the Columbine High School shootings that took place in Littleton, Colorado, claiming the lives of 15 individuals and injuring 21 others. Columbine has become a byword for school violence, and it is painful to acknowledge the fact that school shootings and attacks have become more and more common over the past 20 years. We live in a country that values security, but we've grown up and we're raising kids in a world that is not actually safe. According to a Barna Research article, it says many of us live with the underlying anxiety that so many experience that has led to a collective suspicion that true security is unattainable, or at least outside their control. So we want to wrestle with some of these questions, like how do we navigate life in a world of pain and tragedy? And more specifically, how do we follow Jesus and make him the priority of our lives in the world we live in now? Well, today I'm joined by Laura Wilson and Laura Anselm, who were both high school students at Columbine when the shootings took place. So they're going to share their stories of life and faith after Columbine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and introduce yourselves to our listeners? Um, I'm Laura Wilson, and I have two kids, and one on the way any minute. So if I run out, (laughs) that's probably why. Um, But I have been married for almost 10 years, Um, have been in Charlotte for about 10 years. I work on the family ministry team um, as an event planner um, for all the fun things that happen for family ministry. (laughs) Yeah, you're one of the best. Fantastic. Thanks for being here, Laura. And we have another Laura here. Yes, um, I am Laura Anselm, and I, of course, was raised in Littleton, um, but went to Nashville, Tennessee in 2000 to go to college. Um, And I was always wanting to pursue a degree in Christian counseling, I think mainly because of the Columbine High School tragedy. So I moved to Charlotte in 2012 um, to pursue that dream currently still working for a consulting firm out of Nashville, Tennessee, and I am married and expecting as well um, my first. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on the podcast as well. Well, let's start about, let's start with your high school experience. So kind of leading up to the tragedy, tell us what was high school like for the both both of you? Yeah, so high school, our school was about 2,000 kids. So I know I was a junior at the time, um, and our graduating class had a good a good number, you know, hundreds of kids. Yeah. So it was a fairly, um, I, I would say, diversified experience from the stance of having lots of kids mm-hmm. in one place. Um, so as a junior at the time, I played soccer in high school, and I was kind of a nerd. I kept to myself, um, and so... Um, everybody kind of hung out with their groups that they hung out with, just like in any high school setting, I would say. Um, so I kind of found my place with the nerdy kids that, and in some, in some cases, the athletes. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of how it was. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. How about you? Yeah, for me, I was a band nerd and a choir nerd. Um, and so I had a lot of friends in both of those, um, also in the forensics team. Um, and so I had a lot of friends in different places, but again, it was a big class. I knew a lot of people in different areas. Um, I knew a lot of people that I had grown up with cause I grew up 
in Littleton for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was a pretty normal experience up until that point. Right. Yeah. Did you did your paths cross at all? So you said you were a junior mm-hmm. the year that it took place. What, what were you? I was I was a sophomore. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Did you know of each other? Did your paths cross at all? No, we didn't know each other at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's wild. So yeah. um, Laura Wilson had shared her story at Forest Hill, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how you all got connected. Yeah, correct. So I had a friend actually send me her story, yeah. um, and somebody had sent it to my best friend thinking that it was me. And so they said, here, gotcha. I, I heard your yeah. friend Laura um, at Forest Hill. And I said, oh, wow, this is amazing that there's another Laura yeah. in Charlotte that we're both believers um, mm-hmm. and that we both attended Columbine High School and yeah. were there during the shooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I emailed Forest Hill. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and then y'all got together and, yeah. Yeah. you know, this mm-hmm. yes. this got the ball got rolling there. So, But you all had, uh, from my understanding, a different faith experience mm-hmm. in high school. So yeah, talk a little different. bit about faith in high school uh, leading up to the tragedy. Yeah, so I grew up in Christian home, um, Bible church from yep. when I was itty-bitty all the way through. Um, and so I had that grounding mm-hmm. um, going into high school, and I thought I knew. I thought I had the faith that I that my parents had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my experience as far as faith goes as before, before the shooting. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Laura? Um, I was not raised in a church, and so my parents um, were from the West Coast, from California, Mm -hmm. and decided that if we were to pursue faith or quote-unquote religion, that we would find it on our own. So Mm. um, my exposure to any church was going to a Catholic church um, growing up. But yeah, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't really... I think I had a belief that there was a God, but it was so just abstract to me, Mm -hmm. Um, and... I had no understanding of what that looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk about life almost immediately after the tragedy. We're 20 years removed, so I want to talk 20 days, 20 months removed from the tragedy, as much as you can recall, and especially around the the faith perspective, because with both of you having different uh, faith backgrounds and foundations in your life, just curious for our our listeners to hear is that... um, Everybody processes through this differently, and I think we'll be surprised to know that we, though it's different, there are a lot of similarities that both Christians and non-Christians go through in the face of tragedy. So um, the the shootings occur, and it's all over the news. I remember being a junior in high school myself, and you're just glued to the TV about mm-hmm. what's happening because you know that's all my parents are thinking about, and that's all my friends and I are thinking about. We are teenagers in a high yeah. school. And even though this is across the country, for me, it felt so close. Mm-hmm. It just felt like I was at the school as well, and those were just my classmates. And so after the tragedy took place, um, how did you wrestle with the questions of pain and suffering? You know, I'm, And so you, there's probably a phase of shock, grief, loss, all those sort of things. So what's, what's going on post-tragedy for you guys? Well, for me, um, I think there I was definitely in shock for a good period of time. Um, naturally, I don't think any high school kid is going to expect that mm-hmm. something this big would rock their world. Um, and when you walk through it, everybody is a complex human being. Yeah. So like you said, we process things very differently. Um, I think 
I was protected in the sense that I forgot a lot of what happened afterwards. Mm. Um, I kind of, you know, even just in recent years, talking through some of the things that occurred after, like that I spent the night with my soccer team for two weeks straight. I don't even remember that. Um, My mom brought it to my attention. And I think, you know, at the time when you walk through something so heavy um, and you experience such you know, the tra- this type of tragedy yeah. of such a magnitude, it really rocks you to your core. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through a lot of shock. Um, and then I think I tried to push it down for a long time. And so I actually didn't deal with the emotions that went along with and kind of processing the pain until I was in my mid-20s. Wow. Um, but that was my story. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I would say it's <clears throat> very similar mm-hmm. um, in that... Um, I, I clung to my friends. I clung yeah. to the community that was there. And we, you know, the friends that I had became my community instead of the, the parents or the family that would normally be around me mm-hmm. or would want to surround me. I surrounded myself with friends. So mm-hmm. I'm sure I had weeks where I was just with my friends and never saw my family at all. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, I shut down yeah. a lot of that um, to the people that cared about me most. Probably I shut down a lot. Um, and as I got older, um, I became more aware that that was what was happening, but mm-hmm. I had no idea mm-hmm. in the moment that mm-hmm. that was what was happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the moment, it was a lot of leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to be with my friends. You have no idea what I'm going through. Yeah. I didn't know what I was going through. Um, and then eventually it came back around where it was like, man, I really appreciate all these people that were surrounding me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about, I'm just curious, like academics. Like, did y'all concentrate in class? Like, when oh, you got back in the building, it's like, hey, y'all get A's. You know, like, what y'all went through. What, yeah. What, yeah, what I was know, school like? How do you I get know. back to class? Well, one of the things that was really interesting was, so after the shooting, they asked the students, do you want to go back to school? It was mm. April 20th. So right. a lot of the seniors were halfway out the door, and, yep. like, we had a month of school left, but we wanted to be back together. Mm. And so they put us at a sister school that was actually our rival mm-hmm. um, for till the end of the year. And a lot of it was just so that we could be together. Um, a lot of those, the teachers did not have academics through the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them did, but I think it was just so that they could have normalness so, yeah. right, right. Um, for their, for, for their benefit too. Um, but it, you know, we just wanted to be together, yeah. um, versus, but not really anything academic took mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we did, it was kind of a weird thing to share our rival school. Um, yeah. Our hours were mm. off, you know, they were there for half the day, we were there for half the day, we mm. were in a different school setting, we were yeah. in different classrooms, you know, it didn't feel normal, and I think for us, um, well, for me personally, I struggled with kind of my whole life being jolted, mm. but having the ability to sit in a room with someone and hear their story was somewhat soothing to me. Yeah. Although well, I will make mention of the fact that, um, you know, the counseling resources were really lacking at the time. Yeah. I think that's different now because I wouldn't say that these types of things are more expected, but they've happened a lot more. Yeah. So people have learned a bit more from them. But when, when this happened for us, really the offer was, hey, we have counselors downstairs if you want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I did not personally elect to go speak with someone, mm-hmm. um, nor did my parents really want, you know, push me into going to, into counseling. So here we are. I was 17, you know, uh, really ill-equipped to manage this type of situation. And at the time also didn't have 
the tools or the resources to facilitate in helping me move through the grieving process. So it was kind of like a still pool of water for me Mm -hmm. until later, until other things really brought it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That, that whole side of uh, whether it's ignoring that these things might happen and therefore you can't prepare for them to provide some of that mental health care, mm-hmm. you know, or counseling tools that you'll need. And I, I hope that we've learned, but that that's just the difficult side of tragedy is mm-hmm. like, you don't want to think that they'll happen. So you don't plan that they will, mm-hmm. but it's an, it's inevitable, you know, and right. like you were saying, they're a little more commonplace than we would like to admit or acknowledge, right. but the, the trauma afterwards needs the, the mm-hmm. intentional personal care. Uh, yes. that, and so ho- hopefully we've learned mm-hmm. of how to, um, care for the students in particular here, but families as well who mm-hmm. work through this. Because yeah. I only can imagine the ripple effect mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. from there, mm-hmm. from individuals to their families. I mean, even before we recorded this, you were talking about your grandmother, mm-hmm. right? Was, you know, just obsessed yeah. with uh, everything that was happening afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, news articles and reports and new findings and things like that. So, well, um, we, we mentioned some of the, the faith background that you had. What did it do to your faith? Uh, in that moment as high school students. For you, uh, Laura, Anselm, what was was that? Yeah, so because I didn't really have a clear understanding of what, you know, my faith was at the time um, or my identity in that, um, I think I was a little bit lost, but I had a lot of people around me that wanted to help usher me into a place of knowing Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a girl on my soccer team from an adjacent high school write me a letter and say, I don't want you to die without knowing Jesus and give me a Bible. Um, And there were a lot of people that kind of you know, stood in that same space. And looking back, uh, I just really praise God for those people that s- stepped out on a limb to plant a seed, um, mm-hmm. because really that's what was happening for me at the time was this was one aspect of many in my journey where there was acknowledgement of the fact that I was not in control. Yeah, And I think the people that stood in to speak about God to me were planting the seeds that were really going to grow into fruit later. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's significant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you? Um, so for me, it was the first time in my life that I had actually questioned my faith in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would have been really easy to be a Christian and really easy to just, you know, go to church, um, which is a lot of people's stories um, that grow up in a Christian home. Um, so I was, in a lot of ways, sustaining my faith on my own strength um, versus you know, things that have happened or the way that God has shown up for me. And so, um, after Columbine, I would say God just sort of started leaving these Ebenezer stones for lack of a better example. Um, just Ebenezer stones where I can look back and be able to see these are the places that God is faithful, Mm -hmm. even in the midst of this pain Mm -hmm. and suffering. Um, so it was a real big turning point in my life for my faith. Well, it was really neat to see the similarities between your stories, even though you were in different situations of faith, is you both can look back and you mentioned seeds, you mentioned rocks, you know, these stones of remembrance that God was pursuing both of you Mm -hmm. in there. And it wasn't that Mm -hmm. um, he pursued you because you were a Christian. He's like, oh, I'm going to take care of Laura and I'm not going to take your experience Mm -hmm. because you weren't a Christian, but he's going, no. I'm going to pursue them mm-hmm. both. And how he used different people, that's yeah. really powerful to it think is. of the role that we play in people's lives mm-hmm. on a regular day, but especially when there's tragedy mm-hmm. as well. That's that's really powerful. So uh, when you now when you look back as adults, um, 
expecting mom, a couple children here. How has your Columbine experience changed your, your outlook on life? How do you see the world differently than those who have not had a, a, a tragic experience like this? Um, so for me, I think about um, the time when I when I was a first-time mom, and I knew there were all these different possibilities that could happen to mm-hmm. my son. And when it's li- when they're little, they come home, and you're like, I can do everything for them, and I can keep them safe, and I don't have to share them with anybody. Yeah. Um, and, but eventually, you have to. Yeah. Or they could get sick, or you could be in a car. And you're, there are just so many ifs or what-ifs. Um, and if you dwell, if I were to dwell on those, which as a first-time mom, I did, mm-hmm. um, then I got caught up in that anxiety. Yeah. And eventually it was like, God just said, you know, he's not all yours. Like he's mine. Mm. And so when I was able to get to that point of, okay, he's not mine. I don't like, I don't have that responsibility, Mm. um, of making sure that he's going to be okay. Like God has that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm just here as part of his help. And, um, once I came to that realization, um, it became a lot easier, Mm. but, there is, there's so many, I mean, sending him off to kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I started crying just because I was like, okay, what's the security here? What's it, yeah, you totally. know? Yeah. Um, so in that way, I guess I'm probably a little bit different than some parents. Um, but I think we can all relate to that anxiety of like, mm. man, there's so many things that could happen to this kid yeah. and I have no control in almost every way. Yeah. Mm. I mean, parents exert some, <laughs> some crazy type of faith, you know, you're just yeah. like, I don't know if I can have faith in a God. It's like, you send your kid off to kindergarten. Yes. You can put your faith in something, yes. you know, you're letting them out of your car yeah. into someone else's care. It's like, yeah. you're absolutely right. How about you? Yeah. So since I'm still expecting my first, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't have the same experience to speak to, but at the same time, I will say this, um, in high school, my best friend was, um, Patrick Ireland and he was actually, um, taken out of the second story window from the library and he had been shot in his head, mm. um, where a bullet lodged in the back of his school. And I was actually supposed to meet him in the library. And so at the wow. time that day when I was and I ended up not being on campus, um, for a random reason. And really it was like the Lord setting me aside that day. Mm. Um, I went to lunch, which we had off campus lunch, um, with a couple of girls and, uh, that I wasn't really friends with actually. And it was like all the circumstances to line up for that were just crazy. But when I circled back to find out what was going on with him, I was told that he was shot in his head and that he had a bullet in his, in his skull. And so my realization immediately was, life is fragile. He's probably not going to live, or if he does, he will be a vegetable. And so I think the initial takeaway for me was I have to be able to share the things that I know to be true for the people around me. Mm. Um, And so I'm an open book. I share everything I'm thinking. I want people to know the way I feel about them. I want them to hear it from me as soon as I know those things. Um, So I think there's a, a really big piece for me of just taking life for what it is now in the moment and mm-hmm. appreciating it, like a gratitude for where we are. Um, but at the same time, knowing it's extremely fragile and at any minute, you know, yeah. things can change and we don't know that those things will, but, um, you know, being open and transparent and sharing will allow for me to have some sense of peace mm-hmm. about um, any things that might come up. So I think I... My impact was understanding to be open, um, appreciating the fact that life is fragile, um, that we aren't guaranteed every moment, Mm. um, and to live in the present. Yeah, that's really good. You've talked a lot about friendship, your individual lives, your family. So uh, 
what is that? What what is the the tragedy? How has that shaped your view of life, friends, family? I mean, how does that look now? For me personally, I just really appreciate the people in my world, mm-hmm. um, and I think I have a really. I've always had a desire for really deep and intimate relationships with people. So I have a really close network of people that Mm -hmm. I just love dearly, just as we all do. Um, But I think I see it through the same lens, like I just said, that um, you're not guaranteed anything. You know, someone could have cancer as a diagnosis soon. You could have someone get in a car accident. So really, I think we get caught up on a lot of the little daily tasks and kind of the menial stuff in life and can get bogged down by so much. Um, But from a perspective of walking through something that's so heavy, um, it's good to keep your head a little bit above that Mm -hmm. in that, you know, um, we're really gifted with so much, you know, in friendship, in people that surround us in love, um, and to really know the value of that. I think anytime you're taken to the depths, you understand hope and you understand and Mm. appreciate gratitude. Um, you have an appreciation for the things around you in a much different way. So I think for me, I think that the importance of wanting people to belong um, Mm -hmm. and bringing them in and having them be able to feel that they belong somewhere and that they're loved and Mm -hmm. that they're important. And even though they're like, when their stories are different, Mm -hmm. that still matters. And when they're by themselves, they still matter. And um, so I think that's part of the reason that I I'm in ministry is because I want people to be able to experience that hope and that um, belonging that, were offered here. So I think that that, that's probably how it's been shaped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard people say in the past and I'll, I'll meet somebody and we'll grab lunch and we'll finish up like, Hey, it was great meeting you. I love you. And I was like, this is so weird. Why are you telling me that? You know, but to your point uh, of saying, you know, that every relationship matters Mm -hmm. and them to be able to communicate that to people Mm -hmm. is going, Hey, I might not see you again. But just want to let you know that someone in your world loves you. Yeah. And what yeah. you're saying is that belonging is actually tangible love, yeah. right? The words of I love you. Okay, but belonging is the proof yeah. that you actually do. And so those are both really strong. That And it's hard to get your mind wrapped around a tragedy if you haven't experienced it yeah. before and to know the substance of that. It's like, mm-hmm. why do they treat me like this? They may not you know your history or background, but it's shaped mm-hmm. the significance of those relationships. So how about when it comes to kind of your your personal resolve or the uh, the fortitude that you have, whatever the right word is, for a person like facing the day, how do you get out of bed? How do you open the front door? How do you walk <laughs> out and face life? It's coming at you, mm-hmm. you know? And now you know you're not untouchable. Right. Um, So how do you face the day? Um, So for me, I mean, I guess I felt like, well, I'm going to have to face the day. Like, I don't have a choice. I'm not going to sit here and just not do anything. And my personality is like fights against that with everything. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just sit here. Um, And so that was the beginning point was just like getting up and going. But as I started to clothe myself in a real identity, um, that's what made it easier. Mm -hmm. So when I realized that there was, um, purpose and that there was, um, you know, pain doesn't win. And, Mm -hmm. um, when I realized like God cares about me individually, that's what helps me get through, Mm -hmm. um, the door. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. good. 
I would say for me, um, no matter what we walk through, we're all going to walk out the door and there's going to be something that comes up um, that we're not anticipating. You know, it's different for all of our stories. And in Laura's and my story, it just so happened to be a pretty heavy, substantial tragedy. Um, But I've had pretty heavy, substantial other things happen in my Mm. life as well. So um, I think no matter what happens, there's going to be challenge and trial. Mm -hmm. I think the basis of the resilience or the resolve is in understanding that I trust the Lord and that he will make right. He will do, you know, like Romans 8, 28, Mm he is definitely going to work all things for the good. Mm-hmm. And in the moment when we walk through stuff, when it's heavy and the challenge is hard, it doesn't feel fantastic. But as we pursue the Lord in that, it's really a trust fall. And I think that in, wa- in walking out this journey, I've learned how a little bit more each time I walk down this road of trust, it's not a finish line. You're not crossing this finish line of like, okay, now I trust the Lord fully in everything. It's a road, it's a journey. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that as we all walk that out, we gain a little bit more context and understanding for knowing that he, he is there for us, that he is, you know, with us in those times of trial, he will walk those things out and he will make, he will heal us in those. It's a true understanding of he is our healer. That's one of his names. So the more you walk into a space of understanding that and you have to be forced to, I think there's more confidence and assurance mm, in yeah. that. And hope. Yeah, one of the things that is really hard for me to believe uh, from the mouth of Jesus is when he says to his disciples on a number of occasions, do not be afraid. Yeah. And I just want to be like, okay, easy for you to say, Jesus. But do you know what I'm going through? And I think he would say yeah. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Todd, do not be afraid. Um, and I don't know, this, this is going to seem like a random thoughts tied together, but that there's a band called walk the moon and they have mm-hmm. a song called one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And those, it's like a mashup to me is that Jesus says, do not be afraid mm-hmm. one foot in front of the other, mm-hmm. that, you know, and that sort of thing is okay. Every step, mm-hmm. next step, do not be afraid. The next step, do not be afraid. Right. So <laughs> what about for you, Anna, you kind of, uh, Laura, you kind of, um, mentioned, how your faith grounds you. Mm -hmm. But I'd be curious to know a little bit more is how does your faith in Jesus keep you grounded in a world just swirling with worry and fear and anxiety and things like that? Yeah, I think, like I said, it comes down to trust. But I do agree with you that, you know, if we allow ourselves to get wrapped up in all of the stuff, because there's a lot of it, there's a lot of information, there's an influx of so much negativity in the news, um, you know, if we allow ourselves to get wrapped up in all of that, it will grow anxiety inside of us. Like yeah. there's no way it won't. Yeah. And I think you have to choose what you allow in Yes. and you have to yeah. be discerning about what you take on because you're, it's a protective boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's almost, it's just, I don't want to say use self care as the right term, but it's ultimately knowing how to live in peace through trusting the Lord. And Mm. that is such a journey. I think it's a challenge because we're brought up to think we have all the control, that we can manage our circumstances when things get hard. If we keep these things in place, we'll feel comfortable. Um, And ultimately, control is a facade because um, it allows for us to feel hemmed in a little bit, but ultimately the Lord hems us in forever. And as we step into his arms, he's the one that will carry us through those Mm -hmm. things. So I think 
Um, I think it's a couple different things. I think focusing on what's right in front of you and taking it on with a trust for the Lord, knowing that he will walk with you in that, that Mm -hmm. he will carry you in whatever you stumble upon. And also also just knowing there's pain in this world. You know, I think it's just an acceptance of like, yeah, there's free will. God gave us that. Mm -hmm. Sin is in this world. There is darkness. And I think maybe... Maybe that's a di- my perspective because I came to Christ light- later and I yeah. had a lot happen before that that was really heavy, even in my family life and stuff like that. I was very astutely aware of how broken this world is. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to Christ, I knew that he was a symbol of hope and life. And I saw him as a true loving father that would wrap his arms around me mm. and I would run to him in times of trial. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, we as a body will sometimes think, but why? Why am I experiencing these things? It's not that this world is forcing negativity or challenge or trial upon us. These things exist. Mm -hmm. But the shift is that the Lord is so loving. And in standing more into knowing who he's called me to be, there's a trust there that I can go to him in anything and I will always be secure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to follow that exactly <laughs> um, because I agree with everything yeah, that you just yeah. said. It was amazing. Um, but I would just say um, like hope is what keeps me grounded mm-hmm. is that this is not, this is not what's to come. Yeah. Um, this is not the end. This is not where I have to stay. If you're in the midst of pain or suffering, um, there is going to be an end to it, um, mm-hmm. whether it's now or a long time from now. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, I think it was a realization of, like knowing that God does care for me individually and like he knew about all of this stuff that was going Mm -hmm. to happen. And I know we Mm -hmm. say that all the time, but when you actually like fixate on that, when you actually come back to those points of like in those moments of questioning or um, in those moments of pain where you are able to come back and refocus on who God is and what his promises are. And that's where, that's how my faith grounds Mm me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he is constant yeah. in a world that is chaotic. Mm-hmm. God is constant. His character, his promises, and Jesus demonstrated this over and over and over again while yeah. he was on earth. And I think through the, our relationship with him, he demonstrates, just like you all mentioned a while ago, is the faithfulness is demonstrated through looking backwards mm-hmm. to see yeah. that, oh, he has been constant. Yeah. But man, in the chaos, it's like, are you yeah. still constant? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. is that starting to yeah. wear out a little bit there? <laughs> so you, what you've talked about is just something that we need to kind of uh, recognize or address. It's the idea that if you follow Jesus, your life will become easier. Mm. And it, it's not mm-hmm. true. No. And, and Jesus even taught, he says, if you'll follow me, you will be persecuted. And this world is full of pain. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm going to be with you in the pain. We, we've heard stories of miracles. Some of us have experienced those personally. And so he has the power to do that. But oftentimes the miracles in his presence with us through right. that pain. Right. And so it's the... And sometimes the, it's surprising. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it, it comes through hopefully we can change that misconception. I think we'll become better at life, Mm -hmm. become more compassionate, more humble, more loving. Like, that's better at life. But will life become easier? No. Not necessarily. Yeah, and I mean, actually, I think Scripture speaks to how it's not going to become easier. I mean, 1 Peter 5 talks about how you'll experience suffering. 
And in that, it says the Lord will restore us and make us and strengthen us. Yeah. And I think that is the piece that I maybe I've bought into so hard, like thrown all my chips on the table and mm-hmm. decided mm-hmm. I'm game for that. I want what he will do in the more. And yep. if it takes challenge to walk through, you know, this huge thing to get to a place where he strengthens my faith and he you know, kind of deepens my walk with him, I would do that any day. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the cool part is, you know, he has so much more for us. And sometimes these challenges are a way for us, a stepping stone for us to get to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this is a good transition into some of the practical applications for uh, parents and their kids uh, or their adolescents who are going through tragedy or have experienced it. So, um, what you said, Laura, is just a great tie-in here. There's a quote from uh, that's accredited to Bishop Desmond Tutu, and he says, suffering is not optional. Mm-hmm, and it's like, yeah. well, he probably got that yeah. from Peter. He probably got that from Jesus. You know? <laughs> like, and then Jesus, uh, in John 16, 33, he told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the promises is like, could you have you know, made a different promise? That, <laughs> But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for Jesus... Overcoming required suffering on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. So Jesus did not avoid suffering, but he took it face on. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the question of why is there suffering in the world, because this always comes up, like how could a loving God allow this to happen? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because there's sin in the world. Right. It's because we have free will, free will that God has given to us, which I believe is an expression of love. And when sin rules our, our will suffering will inevitably enter our world. Mm -hmm. It's it's just part of what happens. It's part of the the brokenness of our world. So in light of this conversation, um, I know acknowledging the fact that suffering happens, uh, it can be difficult to process. And there's a a school out in California, it's called the the Fuller Youth Institute, and they they really provide a lot of great resources for parents, teachers, youth workers, et cetera. And so they've compiled a list of suggestions for processing tragedy and school shootings uh, with our kids and adolescents. And so I'm going to go through this list, and I would love for you to either expound upon them of whether you experience them or if you would add something to it. So I'll just go through this quickly, and then we'll start to wrap this conversation up. So here are five that they suggest. They say, when someone is going through a tragedy or has experienced a traumatic uh, moment, to use phrases that help them feel safe to share. Mm-hmm. So the ability yeah. to go, hey, you can, you can say anything, I'm available. So I think that's really important to make yourself available to listen. Mm-hmm. Number two is pray and lament to God. We often think that prayer is, I'm going to ask God for what I need, but this lament is crying out mm-hmm. in loss. Mm-hmm. God, why has this happened? Where are you? What are you doing? This is so painful in trusting God with mm-hmm. that pain. Uh, look for signs of post-traumatic stress, which I imagine was very much very real uh, for you all when you were in high school. Allow space to grieve. Uh, I like to change up the consonants of our country from USA to USG, mm-hmm. the United States of grief. I think we have a hard time grieving because we deal with so much yeah. loss and pain, yeah. war, violence, yeah. death, suffering. And we're like, let's just move on. The next yeah. pop star has an awesome number one hit out. So yeah. let's you know, be happy again. But we've got to allow space to grieve. And then point to signs of hope. And Laura, you've just mentioned that over and over and over mm-hmm. again. It's like, come back to hope. Mm-hmm. That come back to hope. It is in a person who suffered right. the greatest suffering and defeated death. And so how did those five hit you? Um, any 
anything in particular stick out or would you add something to that list? Uh, well, for me, to piggyback off of what Laura said about hope, I think it's in the greatest depths that we can even acknowledge what hope is. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're standing on a mountain, it's really hard to have, like, where does hope come from? Yeah. So I think that's one thing I will say. In acknowledging what you just said, I think those are all great recommendations. Um, for me personally, I had, a, an, a, a, I had a, an amazing awareness of, I guess it was kind of like f- five or so years ago, Um, that prayer, not just to cry out to the Lord and lament, but for people to pray for those in the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I was praying for something else, like what we had experienced in Columbine, and realized, oh my gosh, do you know how many people must have been praying for me at that moment? And I had this awareness of like, the Lord was blessing me so much in Mm -hmm. that prayer, and he drew me to himself. And I really strongly believe in the power of prayer. So um, the one thing that I would say about prayer is to pray for those that are walking through trial, but mainly in ways for them to walk through the grief yeah. and like take it head on and not end up having to, um, I don't know, there are a lot of people that ca- get caught up in coping, sure. like you just said. Um, people will kind of distract from the situation, not necessarily deal with it like I did until my mid-20s. Uh, but you'll take on these kind of like coping mechanisms. And I've witnessed so many of my schoolmates get caught up in alcoholism, mm. uh, drug use, and lose, you know, de- a decade of their life. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so prayer for those individuals to be able to have the courage and to walk through their trial challenge mm-hmm. and tragedy, but that also that there is a spirit of victory instead of victimhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's very easy when you have something heavy to hit you for you to wear it like a cloak right. and you reference it and it, and it, and it's heavy yeah, and you wear it every your life. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But the freedom from that cloak is that the Lord gives us more in victory over these circumstances. And so my prayer for people walking through trial is that they have the ability to walk through it with grief, through the grieving process, through all of the pain, really face it head on and that they take on a stance of victory as opposed to victimhood. Mm. Um, so though I would say those things, um, prayer is so important. Yep. But one thing I would also add is that I had a really fuff, rough ham, family life. Mm-hmm. So no, I had this facade of like, I'm a straight A kid. Mm-hmm. I'm going to college. You know, I'm great. And one of my teachers afterwards said to me, if I was to guess of all the things that you've walked through, like I would have, you would have been the first person for me to think was okay. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that I just really wish I had was someone asking me, mm-hmm. like, how yeah. are you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, how are you feeling? Like, how are you doing with all this? Because I had such a strong wall built up to make myself feel strong at the time. And um, if somebody would have just penetrated that a little bit mm-hmm. and gotten to a place where I was a, vulner- a little bit more vulnerable, I think I could have processed some of this a lot earlier. But instead, I was trying to keep it all together. Yeah. yeah. So. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would focus. So one of the things that you said was um, creating that safe place. Mm-hmm. And um, we've talked about that a lot in our family ministry. And just because creating that safe space opens up doors to be able to have a relationship with someone and that relationship opens up doors to the heart. Um, And so I think 
you know, being, that's really important. And for me, that was really important. And some of the people that were in my life at that point, um, they may not have been Christians, but they did create a safe place for me to speak Mm -hmm. about it. Um, and later there were people that did come and did come into, you know, dig a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, and whereas maybe that's not appropriate right at the beginning, um, sometimes you do need that space and sometimes you're not going to be able to process for mm-hmm. a long time. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, sometimes you're not going to grieve right away. And I think mm-hmm. you have to be okay with that. Um, but being able to have that safe space to be able to grieve when you're ready, um, is mm-hmm. key. Like, yeah. I think that's such a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. but also, you know, recognizing that there will be things that are going to be weird, yeah. <laughs> um, with the post-traumatic, with the PTSD, yeah. um, you know, there were times that balloons would go off and I would have a reaction to that or, you know, I would have friends that would, and just being sensitive to that, um, that, you know, some people process so, so much differently Mm -hmm. than others. Um, and being able to give them space to be able to do that and not, and having that be safe for them to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, you know, overall, I think, um, those are all really good suggestions. Yeah, that's great. Well, and the thing that just kind of to wrap it up here, Tragedy brings out the worst in people, but it brings out the best in people mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And so I would love for us to be the the church, churches, uh, for families to be the type of families that when tragedy occurs, and it will occur, yeah. it's going to happen, that we step into people's lives. Mm-hmm. And just like you were saying, to, to ask that question, how are you doing? And you don't have to give a bunch of answers, but your friendship, your presence in their lives is, in a lot of ways, the tangible presence of God there providing some of that initial comfort, healing. We never be able to give many answers, but yeah. we can give care mm-hmm. to those in those times of need. Mm-hmm. So I'm really humbled by your time on this podcast and for sharing your story uh, with our family. So thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Thank well, you. let me say a prayer and we'll finish up. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time and for uh, Laura and Laura's story and how you uh, have used it to uh, draw them to yourself and then uh, to extend your grace and mercy uh, to those around them. And I pray that uh, you would continue to use uh, their past to influence uh, the life and faith of others around them, both their families and their friends, and then just these random encounters that they have along the way, uh, nothing is wasted in God's mm-hmm. eyes. And so thank you that you will use them uh, for your glory and for uh, the salvation, hope, transformation, rescue of many people to come. Uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Parent on parents, you got this. Thanks for joining us for the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority in their families. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you showed your support by sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast on iTunes. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org.